Music. Reviews. Chat. Poems. Comedy. Writing. Interviews. ELFM. It's radio for so much more. Hello. And welcome to Vandal Factory. My name is Natalie Quatermass. And I'm Henry Raby. And together we are... Vandal Factory. You're not wrong. Well, oh, was it just me? I'm just shouting it out. Yeah, just you today. Okay, just me. Okay. I just thought I'd give you your moment, your oh, and time I, to shine. And did I shine like the brightest star? I've never been more proud. Oh, excellent. Um, so I'm a playwright and Natalie's a director and we do this radio show. <laughs> What more do you need to know? Yeah. Like, I'm always just like conscious of like people like, so who are they? What? Yeah. Are, who are they? Who are they? And what are they doing? Yeah, we're, we're those arty types who do lots of activism. So we thought we'd make a radio show that was about art and activism and about how the two worlds collide. And fueling those two worlds is two of our major themes, which is hope and anger. So at the beginning of every show, I like to ask you, how is your hope and how is your anger? I'm feeling a good dollop of hope, I think. Uh, I'll talk more about it in a little bit, but I went to the Trade Union Congress demo in London against, well, the cost of living crisis, amongst many other things. And uh, I'm I, I'm always a little bit sceptical of an A to B march and a slog in, in London and how useful that is to the wider scale of organising. But I did talk to a lot of really interesting people. I did hear the old chants. I did wave a flag around. You know, I love me a good flag. Mm. So, yeah, I do feel a little bit like, cool, there are people out there that are, are like are like putting forward the fight so it, it worked in terms of just restoring you and giving you a boost because it is we've been, pair of us have been on plenty of protests together and mm. they can go one of two ways and there's yeah. always that like slight excitement nervousness uh before a protest going oh is it gonna be good mm. is it gonna be good because you want it more than well just as much as making a political statement mm. It's about allyship, right? Yeah. And and being uh, something that nourishes you and keeps you going and makes you go, yeah, come yeah. on, All I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you need a bit of that. Anger-wise, same as always, fuming. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely fuming. Natalie, how's your hope and how's your anger? Both pretty high. Oh, yeah, same. It's, it's summertime, isn't it? It's a, it's a hmm. time when I'm looking forward. Tomorrow is summer solstice, so... Uh, I do love this time of year in terms of the amount of daylight we get. Mm. And and it does feel like a point where I'm um, maybe like turning a corner and looking mm. towards the next six months and feeling quite hopeful about that. The next six months is going to be a big challenge for, you know, we're going as winter comes mm. and, the, and uh, the cost of living soars, that's going to be a real challenge. But I do feel at the moment like... I'm involved in enough conversations about how we are going to do our absolute best to keep people afloat during that. You've got to be hopeful when you know there's a big challenge yeah. coming up, right? So with your your role of um, with Climate Action Seacroft, yeah. um, you've got a summer solstice event tomorrow, so you must be feeling hopeful that's going to nourish you. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited. So we look after a community allotment 
down in killing beck and there is a polytunnel and a compost loo and <laughs> these energy, anyone, anyone who's into allotmenting knows how essential these things are um and there's a pizza oven that's beautiful mosaic t- made out of a turtle in the shape of a turtle mm. and so <laughs> made just, out of a turtle and and for the i've mentioned on previous shows you know the last few months we've been doing a little local campaign called mm. get growing seacroft encouraging people to grow their own food um and this is a bit of a celebration of that. You know, nice. it's, it's time where we're, we can all get together. A lot of them have been people that we've either met in one-off mm. um, events or we've been people talking online. So it's nice to provide a space where people can come together. We're going to have pizza. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a, a plant swap. So if you've got too many cabbages <laughs> but not enough tomatoes, then hopefully you'll get mm. a pal that you can swap some plants with. Nice. And, um, and also just some sharing of poems and stories and you're going to come down aren't you yeah i'll be down mate Pop along. have a lovely time so um but we also attended an event together didn't we and it was a very nourishing event it was a very brilliant event because we have played probably at least a couple of times grace petrie on the vandal factory show and we finally got to see her in york at the fabulous crescent and uh yeah she was just everything i needed wanted grace to be of just yeah powerful protest songs but humor and warmth Um, and joy yeah completely and and it was shortly after if not the day after our last show where um i'd been talking about my mental health and not being in a great place and certainly before the gig i was really knackered Mm. and um was quite pleased that we got there about half an hour early and i had had half an hour lie down in the car (laughs) before i could kind of face coming into the gig so i was you know really had it been anyone other than you and anyone other than grace petrie i think every bone in my body was like just go to bed you don't (laughs) need to be here right now um so that was how i was going into that gig and then the warm-up act was a musician called jasmine kennedy Mm -hmm. who was so gentle and loving and and i felt like really genuine because she felt felt like a little maybe i don't know like i've seen quite yeah yeah a little bit shy but like then brought the beautiful music to bear like the soul to bear yeah yeah and it just felt like as i was feeling very vulnerable like as a performer they just like brought me under the wing and went come on now it's gonna be all right and have a little cry and i'm just gonna be ever so quiet and peaceful so we we play a lot of loud bangers on this Mm. show but i thought it'd be nice to have um some of their music that's that's a little bit softer a little bit more beautiful and this song is about the grandma passing away and it made me cry and made me think of my grandma You're already asleep And they dimmed the lights So I waited Cause I was hoping That you'd wake back up Before visiting was over And I could say hello And you'd sleep a bit more sound Knowing you hadn't been alone you tossed and you turned till the time was gone Then I left and I cried for the entire walk home I 
came back Lunchtime the next day And that's what it was You'd ordered that you were pushing round your plate You said you didn't really have much appetite But you let me read the menu And suggest things you might like And I guess it didn't matter Cause you weren't gonna eat But if we didn't plan for one in We'd be accepting what that means We picked a stupid combination Garlic, nan, shepherd's pie Then I got a trifle out my back You ate it with delight I know now that you were dying But then I took it as a sign The way you looked at me and smiled With a soft, contented sigh And maybe if I'd known We were running out of time I'd never have done that 40 miles And I'd have made it back that night But it probably doesn't help To think about that now Or all the other times And other ways I let you down This is it. This is all. Is this one precious life? A life that I will live with all the love that I can. one precious life henry and i'm glad i'm spending it with you uh, okay that was 14 miles by jasmine kennedy <laughs> <laughs> and uh and i hope you feel like she, she's put your her arm around you all as well listeners or certainly that we are putting our arms around you and giving you a little cuddle as you listen to vandal factory radio show Meanwhile, <laughs> never mind those warm cuddles. <laughs> no, let's have some um, fist punching the air, Henry. Go on, tell us more about your TUC demo that you went on last weekend. So the Trade Union Congress is a huge uh, organisation that co- that is basically a uh, overseas trade unions uh, in the UK. Not every 
trade union because some mm-hmm. are not affiliated to it because they want to be more radical and don't want to, to, to have to follow the, the very strict anti-trade union laws we have. But mm-hmm. essentially, that's what the TUC oversee. And um, I'm a member of um, a union called BEC2, which I always forgot what it stands for, so I had to write it down. It is the Broadcasting, Entertainment, Theatre and Communications Union, um, ah. which um, basically is a union most... It will be the union most affiliated with the BBC. Mm-hmm. It will be a union for... Um, like so there's equity which is for mm-hmm. actors um or you have the writers guild but like back to you'd find a place for stagehands technicians mm-hmm. um freelancers costume designers um yeah. all this stuff even like when i worked in an escape room at one point they were like yeah that sort of counts within that sort of wow. area so it's very broad it's also affiliated with prospect who are mm-hmm. a union of sort of more science led which is sort of obviously like things like engineers mm-hmm. um so went on this huge demo so i, I alluded to earlier like sometimes i feel a bit with large demos is sometimes like who, who's it for I am with a little bit of a theatre hat on I'm like who's the mm-hmm. audience and sometimes I'm like well no one's really seeing this it's not getting reported it feels like it's just shouting into an empty street but there was quite a big crowd of people that we reached that were watching this march that were clapping and applauding a lot of people were right. supporting and even people that are filming being like really curious to be like what is this like mm. I think you are like being a spectacle for people to engage with I guess my issue is sometimes like it's a lot of energy and resources to build for something um, when I think well could that energy and time be spent um, yeah. with with a, with a really naive hat on door knocking and like organising in your workplaces but it's all part and why parcel does that, of that movement why is that naive I don't think that's naive it's, it's yeah. important we always talk about where our energy goes and and there's something about um, if there's a something is a tradition mm. like protesting an A to B marches mm. And the more they've become uh, regulated and regulated mm. and regulated and time goes on and on and on, it's absolutely right that we step back and ask, what's the purpose? Yeah. What are we trying to achieve? And is this going to achieve it? And if it isn't, then let's reevaluate and look at a different method. Mm. That's that's perfectly re- We should all yeah, be asking yeah. those yeah. questions all the time, like constantly reevaluating how we work. Well, I asked these questions of several lovely folks at the demonstration oh. and uh, we're going to listen listen to some audio now. So um, get your placards ready, folks. your name and uh, the work you do in the art sector. Hi there, my name is James and I do uh, props on TV and film. I mean, essentially in London, the film industry has just boomed after after COVID, which means that they're offering, they're offering better wages at the moment, but the conditions, the schedules and the turnarounds have kind of somehow seemed to have squeezed. So they offer you the one thing in one hand, which, you know, the pay is good, but then the conditions always seem to be worse. So yeah, just in my experience in the last couple of years, uh, I hadn't really thought about it until I talked about it here. But um, I, we get we end up we end up signing contracts this job. On this job I'm on at the moment, I've signed three contracts. So they give you a contract, then they void it. You have to sign another one, you know. And you kind of don't think about it at the time, but in reflection, you're like, oh, it's kind of slightly messed up. The reason for the resigning the contract was they didn't want to pay us for the for the bank holiday which obviously, you know, we, we put up with it. But I think talking to you and other people, and, and maybe 
in more if you're not freelance and you're in a more permanent uh, permanent job, stable job, they would you're saying they would have back to would, would talk, they would have to be consulted. So you need a consultation before a contract change, right? But you know, on, in the movies and and the TV, they can just change the contract whenever. My name's Alan Struthers and I am a art worker. I'm a, I work in a gallery, I do invigilation and uh, do guided tours of the exhibitions. I think it's an amazing turnout of trade unionists. Um, I believe that like the only real route to power um, and changing anything in government is through the labour movement. So I want to support my union and I want to support this kind of like social movement more broadly, linking up trade union movements with all of these other kind of like social justice campaigns is like an essential part of achieving justice. And I want to tell you, I have 47,000 members of equity and 80% of the people in the theatres that you march past today, they're union members. 70% of the people you see on television are union members. 80% of the people you see on film are union members. And they are members of the union and they are members of our class. And that means that they share with you those struggles. Because merely a few weeks ago, we were stood outside Phoenix Dance in Leeds, the piano of the performing arts, who wanted to put our members on a hundred pound a month. A hundred pounds a month. We turned up, we protested, and within six hours, it was over. That's power. Holborn and I'm the Joint National Chair of the Artists Union of England. So we represent visual artists, um, largely socially engaged artists who are self-employed. Um, so our artists have been the hardest hit by austerity, hardest bit hit by the pandemic because essentially all of their work was cancelled with immediate effect when the pandemic hit um, and majority of our members um, are women as well and so they're trying to balance childcare with um, uh, working and because they're community-based artists it means that essential work that they were doing with vulnerable communities with refugees people with disabilities um, uh, and all sorts of other vulnerable communities was cancelled so there's a knock-on impact not just on our members but also on those communities that we serve um, our members tend to be low paid because they're socially engaged artists they're not the big artists you know can sell a painting for um, a million pounds and very often they have to do a second job Neil Hope Collins and I'm a lay rep for Prospect, the union in civil service and yeah, I'm vice president of the union. And that's true, it is good to see there are other people that, that feel the same way, it's fantastic for feeling the solidarity, the danger is that people walk away from this and think the job's done. What civil servant employers are being asked to do is model 40% cuts so that Jacob Rees-Mogg at Cabinet Office can decide which ones are going to go and which ones aren't. And that's acknowledged, they know that that means service cut. That is really scary. That yeah. is 
40% of the people who provide the services that we all rely on in society are go gone. I'm, I'm a lighting assistant, my name's Cleo. It's been really cool to put like a face to a name and like if you have an issue like yeah, if we like the met person, someone who deals with like health and safety and um, like other little bits of like better to impress it. It's been nice to put like a face to a name and to be like, oh, so if I have ever an issue or a worry that I could, it's you that I talk to, it's you know, it's just some random name with an email. But yeah, it's been a good experience and it's been nice to it's nice to be like part of the <laughs> Fight back. Yeah, nice one, Henry. That was some great audio. You could really capture the spirit and the energy and the anger mm. that was on that protest. Yeah, I think, like, you know, you're sort of arriving, everyone's... Well, I think the w people were amazed I'd come down from, from Yorkshire. Uh, so it was quite a London-heavy one. It wasn't the mm. biggest demo I've ever been on. It wasn't the biggest demo the TUC ever put together. And a lot of criticism was it'd been put together quite last minute. But... I think like you still have that thing of everyone's like just arriving and like they're finding their block. They, you know, you march with your trade union and yeah. your colours and finding where to go. But then like, and then the first bit, as I said, there wasn't really anybody there. It wasn't really an audience. But um, the music you can hear in the background is the musicians' union who brought all their oh, samba great. stuff, and the fire brigades' union had bagpipes. So oh, brilliant! And there's loads of like great sounds going on. So actually, there wasn't much chanting. There was like just enjoying the the the, the bangingness of the sound. The vibe. But then when you get to towards Trafalgar Square, towards the West End, towards Westminster, you start to see more people. They're probably like mm. tourists, and that's when, as I said, they're like they're they're but that's when you feel you're like, we're here, we are making yes. noise. And that's when I felt there was that, that that boost and everyone was mm -hmm. there like feeling it. And uh, and yeah, and it's just, just you know, good to be among, among fellow people that are angry. And, and go, it's, oh, yeah. it's just the principle, isn't it, of going, we're not going down without a fight. Yeah. And there, there is so much about the cost of living crisis where, as I say, like I'm, I'm just thinking about it's coming, how are we going to yeah, yeah. save people? And then it's important to remember that it, this isn't just inevitable. This isn't an act of God that just mm. happens to be happening. No, this can be prevented. Yeah. And we need to always, always be shouting about how this yeah. doesn't need to be happening. And, and and a lot of people I felt were, were quite young. Like Actually, there's quite a lot of, I'd say, people in their early to mid-20s that Good. were probably like came out of the boom of Corbyn's labour that are looking mm -hmm. for somewhere to go that are sort of getting unionised yeah. I mean I think Covid has helped a bit where there was this lot of this language of like join a union now mm. I sort of have issues with that because it's not just joining union paying your subs once a month it's joining and being active in your workplace yeah. but certainly like Learning that that, that is a, a new culture of like unionising and talking mm -hmm. about this stuff and yeah I think there was, there was quite a young presence and obviously we want to give a massive shout out to um, the RMT who whose members are on strike this week yeah. Yeah. And coming up and I'm going to go down to the pickets on Thursday and grab some audio there um, that's something that I will be doing with other people but I think dare I say Natalie it's time that I don't do something with other people in a big march and it's time I did my own thing you put your left leg in your left leg out in, out, in, out you shake it all about you do the hokey cokey and you turn around Henry? Henry! Henry, do you want to come... Henry! Henry! What's up with him? <laughs> oh, don't worry about him. He's doing his own thing. 
That's right, folks. It's the time of the show when we hear a little Dave Jarman skit. <laughs> Natalie has a giggle. Laugh. Dave gets referenced in this poem that I'm going to read. Oh, um, he's in it. Stuff. So this was a request, and, and dear listener, you'll find out why Natalie asked me to read this one later. It's one of my favourites. Oh, nice. I feel like uh, I, I I wrote it and then I left it to the side, and I feel like it ne- still needs editing, needs a bit of work. Okay, but Henry, let's... feel free. I'll give you notes afterwards. <laughs> so this is called Would You Rather Be a Pirate or a Mermaid? And it goes like this. Would you rather be a pirate or a mermaid, asked my mate Dave, probably bursting through the door of our shared house circa 2017, a question like a vape fueled smokescreen to distract us from worries of rent. Or maybe the question was posed to the sound of slosh tinnies and glasses. A glassy is a glass tinny. A thought experiment posed to me late one evening after a long debate about Tories, Brexit or the arts sector. Or maybe while we squished bodies and broths into the tiny kitchen, traded talking points and bowls and blunted blades. Would I rather be a pirate or a mermaid? From the get-go, my immediate answer is fuelled by Lego. Dreams of Long John Silvering, Shiver Me Timbersing and Breaking Rules. Yes, I would choose the barbaric high life of salty sea doggery. But the mermaidness is a life free from scurvy, and I might add freer. In fact, a flipper-flipping adventure complete with singing crabs. It's a question I have posed to friends since with sackfuls of responses. I have asked on podcasts this question to poets, and the more we chewed over the answer of below or above binary of seafarer or sea dweller, the more we hit upon harder truths of society, like waves battering shorelines, pirate or mermaid. The question confounded me to the extent I started casually dropping it into conversation. I asked passerbys and bus drivers, those serving me tea in many of York's independent cafes. I asked musicians before they hit the stage to play at DIY gigs. Are you left or right, they would ask me. Are you wrong or right, my side or theirs, above or below stairs, bothersome burrowing questions, unrepentant binaries. Let the question rest like friendships rest and then like friendships it might fade. The question might finally be put to rest. I could write up all my questions and drill them into my brain late at night, but my mate Hannah has already written that poem about late night questions and solved that problem. (laughs) I have yet to find my fill of these questions, so I found faith in pirate or mermaid. I asked the postal workers whether they wanted plunder or to be deep down underwater. I asked shelf stackers and doctors, lawyers and lawmakers, priests and the Pope, the politicians and lords. I asked the king and queen, emperor and empress. I took that stairway to heaven, sauntered past spirits I should have spoke with, ignored the long dead and their wisdoms, ignored the recent dead and their pleas. I even foolishly ignored the pirates and mermaids, for God's sake, until I met the big cheese themselves and asked, hey... Would you rather be a pirate or a mermaid? And God said, I would choose to be a mermaid with a career in piracy. I would choose a pirate mermaid. There we go. There's a little poem for you folks. Oh, I love it. So, Great. Natalie, why, why did you ask me to read a poem that featured pirates and mermaids? Are we going to interview a pirate? No, Henry. Oh, no. not going to oh. interview a pirate. Oh. Don't be silly. When uh, you were off waving your banners and marching <laughs> your marches, I was back here having a chat with a mermaid. A real live mermaid who happens to be called Lucy Meredith. 
Hi, Lucy. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you, on this yeah, boring-looking afternoon, grey yeah, afternoon. It's a pretty overcast <laughs> Monday, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. like lots of us who were in creative and activists, you wear lots of different hats, and I've sort of bumped into you in various different settings. But things I do know about you is that you're a mermaid, that you yes. care about benches, and <laughs> and like me, you work with, with Climate Action Leads. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Different, quite a few different hats, but they do tend to merge together because, you know, I try to do things that I actually find interesting myself. So yeah, that's um, a good place to start. It, it tends to all kind of merge together. So I run Yorkshire Life Aquatic, um, which is a community interest company that um, is, is arts based. So we kind of use mermaids as a catalyst because I'm an ex-synchronized swimmer and I love swimming and pools. And that kind of became a, a feature of our work. It's a lot of it is, is about around the sea. We did a like a, a kind of eco activist exhibition in 2019 called the Human Aquarium, which was kind of looking at captivity, looking at whales and dolphins in captivity, and kind of sparked mm. from me watching Blackfish. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen it. Watch Blackfish. Having a bee in my bonnet about single use plastics as well. So we used a lot of us like uh, single use plastics in our in our art exhibitions and stuff so it kind of went from there so yeah there's there's always been a bit of a connection between arts and and activism and the environment I know people will be screaming at me going did she just say she's a mermaid uh, I did expand, yes. expand on that <laughs> <laughs> um so I'm an ex-synchronized swimmer um before I went to drama school I I used to train with Brighton Swimming Club is where I'm from got to like Sussex championship level but then mm. when you go to university you kind of quit you or you retire officially yeah. at the age of 19. Alan at uh, Slung Low asked yeah. me to be part of this um, project called the, I think it was called the Northern Big Board and it was set at Shipley Swimming Pool and he wanted to synchronize swimmers in the pool because the show was actually set at the pool and I kind of realized how much I missed it I decided I'd go back to it and then I started working with Zoe Parker who is a choreographer a land choreographer and we kind of started working on this hybrid between pool work and land work and how do we do dry dry land synchronized swimming so we have dry a show. land synchronized swimming yeah love it we have a show that's going out we're at Ripon Festival next week actually doing our dry oh. land show <laughs> oh great check it but out we, what, what's the date for that 25th 25th it's part of Ripon Festival apparently there's lots of leads performers going over to Ripon on that day so it should be worth a good day out <laughs> but we did get nicknamed the mermaids so we thought we'd get some mermaid tails try it out so we and that kind of led us to the more eco side of it and thinking about using um the images of mermaids to represent dolphins and whales in captivity and kind of bridging that gap towards people trying to understand what it's like to be caught in a tank kind of thing mm. so uh, yeah we've done some work in tanks like filming we've been doing some work with Wayne Sables he's been doing some filming for us did some photography work with um, Tom Martin so just working with loads of really awesome people but it's it's a perfect metaphor and and it's such a as you say it's it's such a lovely hybrid between activism and creativity and performance and mermaids instantly sounds exciting and joyful 
so yeah. that allows just... you to talk about one of the most horrific subjects that you know I think of Wales in captivity and my heart breaks and it always has yeah. done I think back to to free willy and seeing that as a kid and then <laughs> I, I don't know about you but as a child I had a sort of well I suppose naivety that like now everybody's seen this film it won't happen anymore now come on Willie I know you can do it boy I know you can jump this wall come on I believe in you Willie you can do it you can be free come on and that sort of we must all the grown-ups must have seen this and sorted it out yeah, unfortunately, and it's banned in the UK and quite a lot of places, but America, yeah. um, China, Russia still have whales that have been in captivity for like 50 years that were kidnapped mm. and stuff. The way we looked at it, we did some kind of research on human behaviour change with the World Cetacean Alliance, who were kind of advisors on the project. And it kind of, you get more out of people if you're not trying to shove something down the throat. So yeah. we were like, well, this is, it is what it is. You can come and you can have a look at these pictures that are, you know, really pretty, you know, beautiful pictures and beautiful photography and, and artworks. And you can take away what you want from it. But it, we're not, you know, I don't want you to feel like it's been shoved down your throat because people don't learn that way and they don't make life, you know, yeah, real change with that. So from, from my campaigning days, I remember being told that people often need three points of contact to change their mind which I really like that kind of the the idea of being all you need to do is be one of those three points of contact so don't try and change one's mind in that moment you're just mm. being a seed in that and there will be other things that happen in their life that might make them take action or change a perspective and that sort of that really changed my relationship with thinking about an audience as well going I don't want well I do want my audiences to come away and start a revolution, but um, mm. I'm all right with being one point of contact. I saw our role was to create curiosity and thought mm. and questions. And then, you know, there's plenty of organisations you could, they, we then signpost to if you want to get more involved in a kind of more active way. But I didn't see that as my kind of role. Yeah. Because um, I'm not Sea Shepherd or yeah. people like that. So, And I don't live anywhere near the beach. So. Yeah. <laughs> kind of hard it's it's quite hard to kind of go how do we explain this in a way that's in a landlocked city like Leeds yeah how do you, how do you make people care about that kind of thing it's harder <laughs> and so did that start um or were you already interested in environmental issues when you started the I grew up in Brighton so I've always been a little bit on the green side yeah I, I work I actually work for Zero Carbon Yorkshire as well so I do there I do um their marketing and comms and things and I think you know because you know as an actor you as a performer you're not gonna make your full living from the <laughs> arts so you kind of need to be a little bit more of a jack of all trades and so I, when when we started the company I kind of had to learn how to make websites and promote things and do marketing as you do yeah. when you've got a micro business and so then I started doing that for other people so I, I'm specifically it came about that it's been carbon, you know, carbon charity. So it's zero carbon Yorkshire. My role in Climate Action Leeds is more to do with housing, but that's because I work for a community-led housing organisation as well. So 
but that's you know that's that's covering things like retrofit and things like energy bills and the energy crisis which is obviously mm-hmm. huge at the moment so yeah so it's such big subjects <laughs> I know yeah your poor little brain <laughs> uh, yeah, no wonder yeah. we're tired <laughs> yeah um then I've just done um, a project with um, Leeds 2023, uh, the City of Culture project. Um, so I've been working with Bramley uh, as a community. So we were doing My World, My City, My Neighbourhood project, which was in- inspired. It was a co- it's a co-production project, which we're kind of carrying on. It was it's officially finished, but I don't see projects like that. You you know, if you if you started something with a community, you need to. You need to you carry that on. Yeah. Um, and we've been working in Bramley for seven years. So we had quite a good grounding. So we did a project called uh, We Are Bramley Acts of Defiance, which was kind of um, inspired by all the things we'd seen in Bramley that were quite defiant and, wh- and they, where the community had come together, like the, um, uh, it's, I call it the Stay and Sit campaign, but I know it's not called that. Um, it, it's basically uh, the shopping centre in Bramley removed the new owners removed all the benches from around the shopping center so nobody had anywhere to sit which is obviously no good for old people older people or people with mobility issues that want to have a sit down while they're shopping and so the community got together and um brought their own seats and for six months brought an extra seat for somebody else and they all sat there for six months um every saturday until the benches were put back amazing most of them are back not all of them there's still a little way to go I think but things like that (laughs) we're just making you know if if you you think well the authorities maybe aren't doing anything about that we're just going to make it happen Mm -hmm. and it's the same with Bramley Baths which is where Bramley Mermaids um, are based the pool was going to be shut down so the community said we're not having that and started a very long and you know quite an in-depth campaign to save a swimming pool which is now community run amazing oh fantastic (laughs) I I, obviously I'm a little bit you know I do love a pool yeah so close to your heart I think um what I'd really like now is for like Bramley Bass is quite an eco pool but it's still very very expensive to run a swimming pool and I know that at, lot, at the moment, there's quite a lot of pools, especially like independent pools that are like uh, struggling because of the energy bills. So oh, what yeah. we need is like someone to come in and find out this amazing way to make all the su- pools like solar powered or, you know, okay. something like that. Getting your at climate action leads yeah, back on be, and talking about yeah. retrofitting and, and powering, you know, alternative sources of power for swimming pools that are really important things for people. Especially if you've got like um like I've got a bad ankle, so I can't run, mm-hmm. and I love swimming, and and swimming is a sport, you know, an activity you can do without putting any pressure on your limbs and things like that. Yeah. It's really important. I have hypermobility and fibromyalgia, and swimming has changed yeah. my life. And I cried the first not time. Not be in pain. <laughs> yeah, and not be in pain and feel weightless. Mm. It was really emotional time. And I've had experiences when uh, I was out in Palestine where, again, not not very much water and water is a massively politicised thing um, and controlled by the state of Israel, etc. So when there was a small swimming pool and 
uh, I could go in the female swimming pool and lots of the women I was with couldn't swim. So I was just gently like holding them in the water and and supporting the back of the neck and supporting the lower back and getting them to float for the first time. And that that was intensely emotional because that physical release caused an emotional release that being supported mm. by the water was um was yeah one of the most powerful things i experienced which you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> you wouldn't expect yeah that's kind of i suppose we class yorkshire life aquatic as health and well-being as well as arts mm. based because we do run we, we run a mermaid class uh, on sundays in bramley at the baths which is I for women to come down to <laughs> you should if you yeah. <laughs> very basic synchronized swimming skills Amazing. but it's su super fun <laughs> oh, fantastic and so yeah the, the theme that's coming out in in a lot of your work that you're describing is the community spaces and access for people to have to benches to swimming pools to the mm, to the yeah. right to be free if you're a whale um is that <laughs> do you think that is a, a common theme in your work yes i mean i'd say unusual spaces is quite a theme in our work um like when we did the human aquarium that was actually in what is now hmv in the st john's center which is a huge huge space um and i think we wanted to kind of not be in an arts-based space because we didn't want it to feel like people there was people who didn't feel comfortable in those spaces so it was in a shopping center and it was odd and people came and went what's going on in here and you're just like well just come in just come in have a look Amazing. um and i think it was quite important um that it was in in that kind of space and it was accessible uh, and i think it's really important to use these empty spaces I don't know after COVID how many more empty spaces there is around the city or empty shop units, but mm. those are the kind. I think it's much more interesting to use those kind of spaces than to go into a, a not, not to dis theatre spaces at all. But um, I suppose we weren't doing theatre in particular. We were doing an exhibition, and, and it, it just felt right to do it in that kind of environment. Uh, so yeah, we use we use odd spaces. We you you know. Uh, we are Bramley was also outside because of obviously COVID. It was a, it's been safer to do it like that. But the Bramley spaces, community spaces, have been really really supportive in helping you know letting us hold meetings and places there. So there's, I mean I'm not aware of um, all the spaces around the city, but particularly in Bramley, they've been awesome to us. So what uh, is it? Um... What is it about Bramley then, do you think, that gives this little defiant um, attitude? What What is it? Because I spend a lot of my time trying to cultivate that. I think me and, me and Henry, with, I mean, we're called Vandal Factory. We are trying to um, encourage a defiance um, and a cheekiness and a, you know. I think they just, uh, we've just seen this natural spark of people coming together and making things happen. As part of the project, we had, we had like, um, it was like a postcard designed and it was like um, based on the stained glass window at Bramley Baths, which is beautiful. Mm. And when I put up this picture in our group, we've got like a Facebook group and we've got like nearly 300 members in it now of people who just really interested in what we're doing and want to be involved. And um, someone said, oh, that's really nice. That should be a mural in the park. And um, because of the very supportive councillors and all the supportive people 
around we managed to do that and get it up within like a week wow the artist came over and um it was it was graffitied a couple of times and within like just people like um local people would just come down and paint it over and said every yeah. time they graffiti it we're going to paint it over wow. again until they stop and it, it was just that kind of oh I just love it yeah it's been so brilliant, brilliant. it's now like um a really kind of there's a running club there's loads of running clubs in, in Bramley and they they have their pictures taken in front of this mural because it says like we are Bramley and they all yeah, kind of like yeah. do team poses in front of it so it's oh. become kind of quite a feature now um for photographs and stuff which is like really makes me happy <laughs> yeah that's amazing oh congratulations that's such a that's such a legacy what song can we play for you on East Leeds FM Hmm. Uh, well, I suppose I should keep it in theme, shouldn't I? Um, so I'm going to go for Somewhere Beyond the Sea uh, by Bobby Darren. Oh, That's and why one. have you chosen this song? Um, I think it's got great fem- memories for me because we u- we use it in some of our shows. And when we first started out um, doing like dance performances, it was one of the first tunes that kind of came to mind because it's so happy. And, and we've used it in quite a lot of our Splash Mob community projects. So Splash Mob! Amazing! Of course. <laughs> oh, Lucy Meredith, thank you so much. Thank you. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me, my lover stands on golden sand. And watches the ships that go sailing Somewhere beyond the sea She's there watching for me If I could fly like birds on high Then straight to her arms I'd go sailing It's far Beyond a star, it's near beyond the moon I know beyond a doubt My heart will lead me there soon We'll meet beyond the shore We'll kiss just as before Happy we'll be beyond the sea And never again I'll go sailing The chat train is pulling into Nat's provocation station. Ah, what a lovely interview. I really enjoyed that. What a lovely person. Yeah, absolutely. I um, It was a real joy to chat to Lucy. But now, Henry, mm. Mm. are you ready to be provoked? Bring on the provocation. May you be provoked like you've never been provoked before. Okay. All right. Uh, so anyone who's listened to the other shows... Um, will have known that I've I've mentioned a couple of times a project I've been working on recently called Suitcase Stories, which is a storytelling project that's looking at working with uh, young people in my local area um, 
focusing on climate adaption rather than climate mitigation. We've come to the end of that project and as is so often the case with arts, community, education projects, it didn't quite go to plan. Because <laughs> it went even better than planned. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's always, yeah. it ends up how it's meant to end up, right? Yeah. So it's originally meant to go into a school, uh, Covid, low staff, that meant that couldn't happen. So Chapel FM come to the rescue and we managed to get a few sessions in with teenagers in and around um, the chapel. And then uh, numbers were starting to dwindle and God bless them, they've all got a lot on their plate. So we decided to do an intensive week, uh, like a play in a week style holiday project during Easter time at the Kentmere Centre. Again, I was thinking like young younger teenage end is is the primary kind of uh, target audience Mm -hmm. for this. Um, However, when suddenly you're running a course that's in a holiday camp, essentially, you've got your football, you've got your karate on, you've got your forest school on, you've got all sorts. You kind of just take whatever kid comes through the door and... um, and they got younger and younger <laughs> and younger. It was and like ha- working with Benjamin Button. Had you asked me at the beginning of that week, can you teach climate adaption to a four-year-old? I would have said no. But my question for you, Natalie, is can you teach climate adaption to a four-year-old? I can teach anything to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I ended up with this this core group of um, pretty young people. And I think my takeaway from that experience is... Uh, working with with four, five, six, seven. I guess there was a core group that were eight, nine years old. And I didn't say, oh, this is a climate change project. Mm. Um, I said, we're we're learning about, um, we're we're telling stories Mm. about our world and and ways that our world is changing. Let's create our world. So we rolled out a massive piece Mm. of uh, wallpaper and said, let's draw our land, Mm. whatever you want. Let's draw the world that we're going to put our stories in. Mm. And... Without me guiding or having to say anything, the young people started drawing storms and a huge sun and a rainbow and big mountains with mm. a river going through it and a sea. Mm. And um, and and it occurred to me that even a four-year-old has a sense, especially in if this is Easter, right? So this is early Mar- mm. early April. We've just had a march where... One day a four-year-old is being asked to put the welly boots on and a big coat and the next they're being asked to to wear shorts and a T-shirt and they, they have an instinctive um, awareness that that's weird. Yeah, and all yeah. kids, you know, it, it, without anything, it, that's almost within their bodies and it came out in their story really without me having to prompt it at all that we have this world where it's odd the the weather changes all the time it's really mm. confusing and um so it didn't take very much for me as the storyteller the the, the facilitator in the room mm-hmm. just go okay well what happens if these storms st- happened would the rain was raining all the time what mm-hmm. would happen to that river or oh this farm that you've drawn over there what would happen if um uh, the, there was no rain what happens mm. to flowers and and they really get an understanding of that um, and then we could just go, well, 
this is happening around the world. So let's yeah. have a look at these different places um, that people are surviving and adapting and changing. So we ended up writing a, a an alternative version of Jack and the Beanstalk, where Jack goes around trying to sell his his cow or his milk. I always forget which way around it is. Um, but no one can buy anything from him because they've all got various problems. One's got drought, one's got flooding, one's not got enough shelter. Um, and Jack comes up with various solutions of how he can help the villagers. So it was, it was a really great project. Um, um, and what I'd like to share with us today is um, not from the, the Kentmere project, but from one of the teenagers who, I'm going to say it, Henry, it's a Chapel FM legend. Absolute grade A ledge. Yes, mate. Yes, please. This is Mimi, who... Um, who just blows me away in her passion, her articulate articulateness, <laughs> which is what I, <laughs> I don't, don't have right from. now. <laughs> um, but, but she was one of the, the participants in the Chapel FM section. And um, it was a real pleasure to be able to catch her earlier and uh, record some audio with her. This is, this is Mimi's suitcase story. Oh, thank you so much for joining us here today, Mimi. Um, so you were one of, my participants one of my young people on suitcase stories and i would just be so pleased if you could share your suitcase story with everyone here so do you want to start with um well let's start at the very beginning where did your um suitcase story start um well it, it started when i was like obviously in like a smaller town down south uh towards like the ocean and it was like more of a village obviously than town but i say town because it's easier mm-hmm. um and i was just like there with some friends and like just walking around and coming up with inspiration for music mm, yeah yeah that was lovely because you was you were telling us about creativity plays a really important part in your life and um and so what happened um, so uh, we, we basically just ended up spending like the whole day together just like walking around and like going around with like the different like forests like towards like the back of the town mm. um, and then uh, uh, I guess um, like we end up going into this shop um, which is weird to talk about now obviously due to the events of this story yeah yeah <laughs> go on so um, oh it's I guess it's maybe important to say that this is true yeah. this is a completely true story um so you went into the shop and what happened next um we just ended up walking around and seeing if they had anything interesting to buy and then when they didn't i obviously just left and just like started walking around again and just continued exploring yeah so this is just like a typical day a few years ago or a little bit sooner and what happened the next day um, so I, I just, um, like woken up cause obviously I got home quite late. So I went straight to bed and, uh, my grandma had told me that she got like a phone call from my friend saying that like the village had been like flooded. Wow. So, so this was the village that you had been in the previous day. Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit more about what, what went through your mind? What, what was that experience like? What was your grandma? How was she? Um, she was okay, obviously, because she didn't know the people. She hadn't been there. But for me, it was kind of strange because I was just there the day before and now, like, it was gone and it was all, like, flooded over. Mm. And had you seen any images of what it looked like? Yeah, my friends had sent me a few images from, like, like a hilltop nearby. So, obviously, it's quite high, so they were, like, safe to stand there. And it was just, like, of the shop that I was in and it was, like, collapsed and everything. And Wow. So that you shared that in one of our sessions as being that that was a 
a pivotal moment for you that had a big impact on you. Can you tell us about what what was the impact that that experience had on you? Um, at first, the impact was quite like sad because obviously it, the place I was it was flooded. My friends had lost their homes, but then it like had inspired me to like start looking into like climate change and how, why this is happening and how it's affecting us. Okay. Cool. And and I was really uh, interested when I first heard this story that your instinct was to teach yourself about climate change. Um, and do, do you know, you know, what, where did you first go to if you start going, right, I need to know about this? Firstly, were you sure that it was climate change that was causing the flooding? Um, was um, there anything else that might have... Obviously, I'm not 100% certain that you can never be, but yeah. I, I feel like that is probably the biggest factor. Yeah, you, so you had enough of a background knowledge to go, do you know what, this is something to do with climate change. Yeah. And then where did you go to start teaching yourself about, uh, about the climate crisis? I guess I started off just like searching up on like Google and seeing what I could find out and then I started like getting in touch with people who like looked at climate change and how it affects us and how it could like not be stopped but like obviously how we can do things to prevent it from getting as bad as it could get if we don't do anything. Yeah so so um, some of those people that you got in touch with and got to know was everyone at Chapel FM. Yeah. Um, so do you want to tell us about the next stage about what what how are you now active in your climate change journey? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I already knew most people at Chapel FM. Uh, Henry had just joined at the time, so there was, <laughs> there was the climate uh, group that had just started up. Um, and then, um, obviously, I've just since then just been like talking about it and trying to like talk to people about it who don't know much and like tell them how we could prevent it. Yeah, and so it was almost a year later that we were in a suitcase stories. Um, session and you were taught you were learning about what can you remember what it was that specifically kind of linked with your own experience I think it was this floating village on yeah. uh, where it had been flooded over and they wanted to like not use it but then they like built it up and like made it float and then people like start using boats to like get and but to and from school exactly so there was this example that we found of in Nigeria where a slum had was regularly being flooded, um, but the people had learnt to adapt and 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 built a a floating school, as you'd said, and that was just such a beautiful um, connection for me to have that flooding was an environmental issue that had sparked your interest, and then almost a year later, that we were learning about it happening on the other side of the world as well, and. That, um, I think that's really interesting that kind of it it can be a local issue. We know that you, like flooding happens across Yorkshire um, and down south, and and it it can it's affecting people globally. So in some ways, it's a really unifying issue. Um, awesome. Can you? I'd just love to know what else, if anything else, was like your favourite bit of the process, or anything else that you can remember about um, those few sessions that we had. I guess it was getting to like work on my suitcase story and getting to like develop it. Obviously, until obviously I couldn't come anymore. Yeah. But it was great getting to work on it when I still could. Lovely. That's so great. Well, thank you so much, Mimi. It was a pleasure. I'm so glad that we captured your story in one way, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Hope to see you soon too. Well, thank you for listening to 
the Vandal Factory show. We're having a little break for a couple of months because the Chapel FM Arts Centre, where we're based, are focusing on the Home From Home project. And then in the summer, um, we staff here at the Chapel work a lot with young people over August. So we'll be back in September with a whole new show. But please check out the previous ones get in touch we've got like websites find us on socials we're all there um have a wicked summer everyone. yeah like go and just like enjoy the sunshine and feel hopeful and spring yes. forward in the face of just global annihilation store your beans up that's what i'm doing this summer i'm storing up my beans do you know what i think we need to end on a banger because every single song you own is a banger it's time for Nat's banger of the hour. Bangers. Is it a banger? Yes, it definitely <laughs> is. We are at the end of our last show before the summer. Thank you so much for listening. We are going to end on an absolute unequivocal banger. And that is Borders by M.I. A, why are we playing this, Henry? Because we hate the hostile environment and deportation of refugees to Rwanda is sick. Yeah, it is. Freedom, I to meet him. Where's your freedom? This one needs a brand new freedom. Weed and the key. Weed and the key them to life. Let's beat them. We them smartphones don't beat them. Yeah, guns, blows doors to the system Yeah, fuck them when we say we're not with them